Welcome back everyone. So it's been a little bit, a little while, and I think it's because God has given me nourishment before I was able to really talk about what I think he's been wanting me to talk about. In this episode, by the time it comes out, I'll have a title. But right now, I've had like five different titles for the episode because there's so many different things I want to talk about here. And I probably will talk about way too much, but that's okay. So it definitely has been inspired by many things like Christmas having come and gone, as well as a podcast I was listening to, the Happy and Healthy podcast, Chef's Kiss, I suggest it for real. Um, I was listening to that and it convicted me like two months ago. And the theme for my personal church this year is centered on this verse that I've been wanting to use for the podcast for almost a year. So with all of that, I'm going to talk about how I've been reminded of the rights we have as adopted sons and daughters of God, the rights and privileges. And before you go on not believing me, I'm going to refer to John chapter 1 verses 12 and 13. In the New Living Translation, it says, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They're not reborn, not with a physical birth, resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So it says that if you accept Christ, you basically have the right to become the children of God from a birth that comes from God himself. And I've been thinking a lot about being a child of God and what this entails. And being a child means being loved and protected despite yourself. But also, a child comes with expectations. And that's really what's been on my heart, are the expectations. Before I get into this, I want to make it clear that all of this is a choice. And that's the point. God chose us and he wants us to choose him. As a child, you know, it's a little difficult for me to assume that everyone has good relationships with their parents, guardians, or whatever figures they have in their life that helped raise them, because that's not true. That's not the case for many. But for me, it is the case, and I am so privileged to have had that experience. And the way my relationship with my parents works is they are just some of the most giving and loving people. All they do is pour out onto me, onto my siblings, really anyone in their circle, and they build their life and experiences over the best outcome for all of us or what they believe that to be. They involve us in everything they do and sometimes to our perception as their children, it's almost to a fault. I don't know. I was thinking about the kind of love that I think comes with that, the wisdom and strength the beauty in their parenting, even to us now as adult children. And they try to model off of what they believe God has instructed them to do as parents. So there must be so much beauty and wisdom and strength in the way that God parents. And I was thinking about the expectations I know they have on me as their child. Not to say that these expectations mean that I have to, I don't know, contribute in a financial way, in any specific type of way, but that this contribution I give to them comes from an emotional place out of respect and honor, out of understanding for the way our dynamic works and a desire to reciprocate that love that they showed to me in some type of way. I believe that our lives here on earth are supposed to be a model of what our relationship with God is supposed to be like. So thinking of God as a father, what kind of things would he expect from me? You know, I talk a lot on this podcast about why you should love God, 
why you should surrender to God, why God is good, about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the center of this whole thing that I'm doing, that God loved us so much, Christ came here and he saved us from ourselves, from sinful lives, lives apart from him, essentially, and all he wants to do is reconcile with us so that we can live for him for eternity. But I think that sometimes I shy away from the aspect of what God really does expect from us. And that is to live set apart lives as set apart creatures. First Peter chapter two, verse nine says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I have read this and heard this scripture almost more than any other scripture. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, being chosen. But this whole passage is about how we are to be set apart, you know? There's John 15 and 19, which says if we were of this world, the world would love us as its own. But because we're not of the world, uh, God chose us out of the world. I've heard that scripture so much too. And both really get to this point of being gods um, and this point that we should proclaim his excellencies. And I don't really deal so much with that, the weight that comes with that um, in our lives that we're constantly warring with to have to be set apart. Specifically, I don't really talk about the way that sin impacts the way that we have our relationship with God. It's hard to think about without feeling like you're condemning anyone for their lifestyle. It's hard to talk about. And because that's my major hurdle, I'm going to talk about my personal life, about the role that sin has played in my life. I feel like sin has become such a buzzword to be honest, especially in the church. I mean, sin is used so much by Christians and it's like, what actually is sin? Well, the textbook definition is a transgression against divine law or an immoral act considered to be a transgression. And it's hard when this world is so full of so many different cultures and our understanding of sin can be absolutely framed by that. I mean, every experience is formed or informed by our identities. That's a little diversity instructor in me coming out. But because everything is informed by your identities, it's really hard to get away when you're thinking of sin um, and how to conceive it to be objective and how hard serving God can be if you're not convinced of sin. It's hard especially to accept what truth is, objective truth, if you don't have a proper understanding you know, I've been fortunate enough to be around a lot of people who spend a lot of time with God and a lot of time in God's word. I get to learn from different perspectives and ideologies, and I'm more than grateful to have a relationship with God myself that has allowed me in so many different capacities to try Jesus, you know? I can spend a lot of my time trying to convince you of the gap we have as humans in a divinely moral manner, and I can tell you all the ways in which Jesus Christ is the answer, but I do think God hasn't called us to be his PR team, rather his ambassadors, showcasing all the benefits we get from him. So I hope rather through my lifestyle you are convinced and God proves himself through his word. And now, 
going back as a child of God, I've come to this conclusion that if God is so concerned about sin, my expectations as God's child is to run away from sin. And scripture literally says that verbatim, uh, so many of Paul's writings, uh, one of his letters, I can't think of exactly right now, but he literally says something like run away from evil desires. But it's hard again. It's hard to frame that without being convinced of it, especially. So I, again, am going to talk about my own experiences and what has helped me be convinced of sin. You know, I've mentioned before, but I was discipled by my friend and a lot of her life, a lot of the conversations we had, Bible studies we were in together really allowed me to dive deep into this life that we're living and God's identity and how much that contributes to the way I see him and how I understand sin. So I want to start there. My friend and her husband invited me to partake in this awesome experience called Storyform Life, which I've definitely mentioned before. I'll put the link in the description for this episode too. And in this experience, you go through this whole process of trying to get to understand God's story. I recommend this experience to anyone who will listen to me. Seriously, uh, 10 out of 10 experience. But out of the 10 to 12 sessions, I'll never forget the day that the phrase to be convinced of sin was used because I can noticeably see how my life has changed since that session. I was like, what do you mean by that? Aren't I already convinced of sin if I believe in Jesus by default? But that's not necessarily true because sin reflects your heart's position. And to be convinced of sin, I believe, is to be convinced that there has to be a truth somewhere that is the measurement to all actions, thoughts, and beliefs. And essentially, that truth has to be divine in nature if it governs over my life, your life. So if there's a hierarchy of how actions and thoughts should be, and it must be based off of something. As Christians, we believe that the standard is Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ being the word of God made flesh. And that's beginning of John 1, 1. Um, In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh. We've come to understand that's Jesus Christ. And I think it's pretty universal that things people think are sins like homicide or assault or things like that are, you know, categorized that way. But I mean, intrinsically, what is it about sin that sin can infiltrate our hearts to a point where God could not be pleased by our lives to our understanding as Christ followers? But other people can think it's okay to govern themselves by said actions in their lives if they're not following Christ. And in my own life, I saw that happen and play out quite vividly. I grew up in the teachings of the church and of scripture, and you know, you hear pretty much the same things. You shouldn't be drunk, you need to stay away from profanity, you shouldn't have premarital sex, things like that. It's one thing to follow rules as a Christian out of the religiosity, I hope that's a word, of it, out of the pattern of it, out of the rule book. It's another thing to believe my body is the temple of God, God lives in me and to defile my body with alcohol or spiritually uncovered sex is to defile the place that God lives in. I mean, the difference between those two are crucial. 
to dig into the concept about your body being a temple that God dwells in, we can refer to 1 Corinthians 6, of course, that says in the English Standard Version, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We can also refer to Romans 12 and 1. I love the Amplified Version. I needed to read this. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, deciding all of yourselves set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intellectual act of worship. I love how plain that translation made it. And so if God came, if Christ came to save me from my sin, and then the Holy Spirit came after Christ descended, now the Holy Spirit lives in me. It is now up to me on how to govern my body with this knowledge. My personal walk has led me to this place where I honor God so much that I don't want to knowingly do anything that offends the place where God lives if I believe he lives in me. So that flows into my actions. If God does not sin, and if sin is offensive to God, I want to be like him. I want to make him proud and honored. I want him to feel safe, per se, in me. Then anything I'm doing in this body should reflect that. And I mean, to be honest, you know, growing up, there's some stuff that we do in our parents' houses, or you move back with your parents that they would not approve of. I get that. Like, I have 10 piercings on my ears, and my parents have a conniption every time we talk about it. So I really understand it. Sometimes you do willingly defile your parents' houses, especially if you're not really convinced of the way that they run their homes and lives. And there's some things that you just will do because you honor them and don't want to make them upset. Not necessarily because you understand how or why they want to run their home the way that they do, but that you defer to their authority. And that's a very tricky line to balance, the crisscross between. And I think it's so real to admit that to yourself. That now flipping back to God, there's some things of the Christian lifestyle that you're like, mm, I'm not really driving with that. And of course, you need to be mindful of the doctrines you're being exposed to and trying the spirit by the spirit. We can come back to these ideas in the later podcast. But man, to come back and be convinced of who God is also means to be convinced that he has given us parameters to live within. Not because he wants to control us, but because he wants to protect us. Faith becomes a different thing when you start thinking about it like that. When you start making decisions with that kind of mindset of not being micromanaged, but I'm being advised in my actions. And so all of this to say that a fun story time with Ari, I went through an experience where I got into this new group of friends and we were playing card games and drinking games. And for contacts, I'm not, look, my parents don't drink. I grew up not drinking. I didn't drink it until I was of age. Okay, no teen drinking, I'm serious. And when I did start to drink, I vowed that I wouldn't get drunk because that's actually what scripture tells us not to do in a hundred different places. Like Proverbs 3 or Proverbs 23 and verse 20 or Ephesians 5 verse 18. I could go on. Anyway, back to the story. I remember this one night playing these games. I got super drunk and I got really sick and it was so embarrassing for me. And I remember while I... I fell into this group of friends and I knew I was being lukewarm in my faith at this period of life. I was spending less time in God's word, less time talking about God. I wasn't really integrating God into my routine as I usually did. And the thing about it is that 
it wasn't that I believed in God any less than before, if that makes sense. It wasn't. It it wasn't that I didn't know what God intends for me to do with my actions for me to do in social settings, I suppose. I don't think I was convinced of sin yet during that period of my life. I wasn't convinced that he has surrounded me within a certain lifestyle, not just so he can get the glory out of me, but so that I could protect myself. And I remember like just certain things I was doing were so out of character for me. And I was very ashamed. There was one night in particular where I remember just like crying in the middle of the night and saying, God, please, I would do anything not to feel this way anymore. And I went the next day to the safe space with some of my friends who were Christians that I was avoiding at that period of time because I knew that they could hold me accountable and I just wanted to have fun, quote unquote. And I was telling them about how lukewarm I was feeling my faith and how much I felt like I was losing in my faith battle. I was just wrestling with a lot of stuff and my friends spoke the scripture over me. Isaiah 59 verse 19 that says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. And that never, I have heard that verse a lot before, but that scripture had never impacted me the way it did that night. Because I felt like the enemy had just come in like a flood and I let him and I felt so helpless in my walk. But it was like God used someone to remind me, someone that I trust to remind me that it's God's job to protect me. God lifted up a standard against the enemy so that his flood of chaos won't crash over me, but rather God took the brunt of the struggle and covers me from it if I let him. And so from that day on, I set my sights on getting to know God in a way in which I could understand him and understand the way I interact with him. And I wanted to know more of if I were to have to live a certain type of way for God, why would I have to give up fleshly desires of life? I wanted to know what it was exactly that God expected out of me being set apart. If I am his royal priesthood, if I am his holy nation, what does holy look like? Why does holy look this way? Who's to say holy looks this way? What does the word of God say? That curiosity and conviction, being completely honest, led me to slowing up my social endeavors I was partaking in at the time that I knew were sinful. I decided that I was going to start spending more time with people that were pouring into me, like my friend who discipled me. I signed up for a spiritual gifts class. I changed my media consumption, which I, what I was watching, what I was listening to. I changed the way I was speaking. That was the big thing for me at the time. It was the funniest thing because I promise you, I know my Bible. Like my biblical literacy it was something I was always proud of. But this whole part of my faith journey was all about knowing God and being convinced enough of him to listen to him and understand. So I was leaning into that in a way I never have before. God would have to lift up this standard against the enemy if I was going to start living more that God wanted me to. That was where I was. 
But God was also going to have to convince me to be set apart, to be quite frank. You know, something that became really real to me is that your relationship with God, the way it goes is you're either intentionally getting closer or you're unintentionally drifting further. So me not being conscious about feeding into me and God's relationship was contributing to it because I wasn't being intentional, which meant that unintentionally I was drifting away further and I started to feel further away from him and I started to feel like I couldn't hear his voice. What changed my faith walk was when I became convinced of God being good, despite what God has ever done for me or could ever do for me, you know, I forgot that God is good objectively. And sometimes it is hard to think God is good without it directly being correlated to you. I think we've forgotten what God has done on a greater scale. Jesus came, saved us. We had this opportunity for reconciliation, for divine healing of any possible type of healing you can think of. But there's also, you know, like the miracles he does. Um, like in Exodus, when the Israelites kept forgetting what God had done, they forgot God provided manna, bread from the sky, like actual bread from the sky. Like it was the movie Clyde with a Chance of Meatballs or something. They forgot that happened. I'm sure it, it didn't look exactly like that, but you get the picture. And we are just like them. We forget what God has done, who God is, what he can do, you know? We forget to celebrate God for the things that have nothing to do with us. The persuasion of this all started with a desire to have a good relationship with God as my father. Up until that point, I don't believe in my faith walk. I really tapped into God as a father figure because I have a good relationship with my natural biological father I've talked about this before what I've done in this new life prioritizing my relationship with God but I don't think I've told you what I've learned about God as a father figure you know I didn't really talk about the way that God wasn't just kind to me in a general sense God was the kind of kind to me the type of kind rather that when I hated myself, even if I was sinning against him, he was the type of kind that would remind me how wonderfully made I was and how I'm beautiful and how I'm a masterpiece, how he intentionally created me, how he had a plan for me, how all of the circumstances, good or bad, that got me where I am today, God still wanted me to exist. That if Christ could have only died for one person, which he didn't, he died for us all, but even if it had just been for one person, even if that one person had just been me at my lowest, he still would have done it. That kind of kindness to put value and worth on me was unmatched. And it says more about who God is than who I am. Like I said, even at my lowest, he would still do what he could to save me. You know, these attributes of God that I talk a lot about in the podcast really impact me further than anyone could dream of because the only reason we get to be kind and loving and good and gentle and patient and humble and experience joys is because it's God's idea. It was his idea to share it too, you know? God creates to share. God exists to share. 
that is a relational God, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. But that's so real. God exists in relationship and relationships are important for us, which one day I'll probably talk about on this podcast. But relationships are so important for the Christian experience because God himself exists as a relational being because he wants to share. The essence of him is to share, to give us people to build relationships with. I am so grateful for my friends that carried me back to my faith. They helped me get back on this path to actually listen to God. But they also, in practical ways, fed me, prayed for me, took care of me in emergency situations, gave to me without an expectation of anything in return. Like when I say three meals a day would feed me and let me loiter in their houses and never ask for anything, I mean it. And if these people could be so kind to me and be genuinely good people and do good things in their lives and label all of their actions as a result of the God that they're spending time with. And that God they're spending time with must be awesome. Which leads me to my last point. That intimacy with Christ also clears uncertainty about him. And you know, one reason I knew that me and God were far apart is because I was lacking in my emotional intelligence. And emotional maturity is paralleled with spiritual maturity. Seriously, there are some people who are emotionally mature and have not reached that level of spiritual maturity that God intends. But God is so intrinsically integrated into this life we live. I mean, God is so present. The earth is full of his glory. But intimacy with God is about being able to hear him and about being sensitive. One of my friends just sent me a clip on Instagram a few weeks ago of a man we both like. He's a Christian artist talking about how we have to stay sensitive. And the example he used was that he was driving past someone who was asking for money on the side of the road. And he was like, wow, God bless you. Then God replied to him, no, you like him, the guy bless him with money. And how much intimacy with God must that be to be sensitive enough to hear that? If you're not being close to God so that you can hear heaven, then you know you've lost your intimacy. God is in the business of freeing you from things that have holds over you. And I don't think I believed that before I went through this whole journey to love God for who he is and understanding him better. Like I'll say for myself, me being in social settings, that I just wasn't happy with what I was doing, who I was with, the things I was doing, come to find out were directly influenced or were a direct result of me being held by people's perceptions of me. I had this undeniable desire to be liked, to be accepted, to be seen as cool, to be seen as pleasing and agreeable. It was holding me so tight that it was suffocating. I mean, I would second guess a lot of things. What I was doing, the things I would say, what I would post, what I would talk about, how I would talk, what I would wear. I was doubting my relationships with people. Like, do they really love me because they love me or because of the situation we were put in and how we're placed together? I was just so bound by it. And God being the business of freeing people freed me from the desire to have to be perceived the way that other people were perceiving me. As you feel me from the desire to have to please people from having to control their narrative or control their perception of me. God moved me 
by showing me if you know who you are and you know who you are in me, you know what you believe, you know what you're convinced of, then you'll know what they will perceive of you because you know who you are. They can't perceive anything else if you're secure in the position I placed you. And if you're secure in the position I placed you, you won't even care what they perceive because it's not what you're focused on. And that was critical for me. I was trying to play author when God so clearly is the author of my life. I was trying to have editorial rights, but I was getting the edits wrong. I was placing myself and writing myself into situations that I didn't even want to be in, that I would feel so sick about being in or guilty about being in or unlike myself. I would dissociate. I didn't really want to be in the life I was living, but I wanted to be accepted into this life that I'd forced myself in. I hope that makes sense, but it was through God saying, if you sacrifice, if you lay down, if you give up having to live for other people and you live for me instead, I will free you from all of it. I'll free you from your perception of yourself that you can never really figure out from this identity crisis you're having, from this need to be something you're not made for, the feeling of being obligated to have to be anywhere or have to do anything. It was like when he said that, my answer was, well, you expect me to do that for you. God, you know, you expect me to belong to you to live the way you want me to. And God's answer to that was like, you'll want to live for me when you see how kind I can be, when you see how I love you, when you experience my gentleness, when you see how I nurture you. Spoiler alert, God's been right. I can't explain to you the experience of peace that has come with the life I'm living with him. My mind was so consumed with things other than him, it was like I couldn't get a break in my own head. My mind was so clouded and it was like a big puddle of uncertainty and insecurity and shame, to be honest, and confusion. I was so frozen by this feeling of weakness that my soul just felt consumed. Intimacy with God cleared up my mind. It cleared up the lack of stability I was treating God like a liar, but I was saying with my mouth that the devil is a liar. Like, I was treating God like he wasn't holy, like he didn't promise me a life more abundantly if I served him. I was treating him like that wasn't true. And yet I was projecting onto people that the devil is a liar. I mean, I was actually the liar in that situation because I wasn't trying Jesus. I was only talking about trying Jesus. And now I'm doing both as a means to try to motivate someone here to do something similar. So this episode's a little all over the place, but I do want to break it down so that you can walk away with some things and thoughts and feelings that can stick with you. First, if you are a child of God, there are expectations as a child. And that expectation as God's child is to serve him. One of my favorite songs says, for to know God is to love him, and to love him is to serve him. And I think that by knowing God, I came to love God. And now that I love him the way I do, I don't want anything, I don't want to do anything but serve him. I can't help but share this hope that lives deep within me, and I try to convey it through this medium. Second, you can't be convinced of sin or that God is good if you don't have intimacy with God. And I went through 21 almost 22 years saying that I believed in God, but not living like I did. But when I made that change, everything about my life has elevated. Third, 
is that being set apart, being a holy nation, being a royal priesthood is dependent on your intimacy with God as well and dependent on you being convinced he's good. Fourth is that God is good for reasons that have nothing to do with you. Once you start to believe that, that's when your life can change with him. You know, the purpose of all of this as God's ambassador is to recommend and suggest to you that if you're not living for God, that you should start. The heaviness of my life was lifted off of me once I started being thankful for God and once I recognized who he was. And this life can be so convoluted and messy and tiring and overwhelming. But I know more than anything that I serve a God who has overcome this world. So the song shout out for this episode, which I know it's a little late, is Never Lost, originally by Rita Springer, but I'm shouting out the tribal version because something that Lizzie Morgan, Joe L. Barnes, and Melvin Campbell do on that track just has me in a choke hold. So I highly, highly, highly recommend. Okay, this episode seemed to have a little bit of extra heaviness on it, though I told you in the season premiere that we we're going to get a little deeper in here. But I do want to recognize that. But the better thing is that God is so, so good. And for you listening, struggling with the idea of being set apart, struggling with the concept of having to openly live differently than other people and do different things. Maybe that's going out less. Maybe that's wearing more. Sorry, I had to. Maybe not being in certain relationships. Maybe not having certain friends. Maybe getting rid of some hobbies. If you're really struggling, I want you to know that you are not alone and that this is the calling that is on our lives as Christ followers, as those striving after the kingdom of God. You are to be set apart and that is in fact hard. (laughs) There's something so special about you though. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation and God wants to use you to advance his kingdom for his purposes. It's kind of hard to do when you're not saying yes. And it took me a really, really long time to say yes. And there's some things that I still, you know, God is helping me through to say yes to. But I want you to know that you're not alone. If this is the push you needed, if this is the reminder you needed, if you need some help, I'd love to hear about it. You can DM me privately. We can chat about it. If you know me, you can text me. I'm happy to hear your thoughts. I'm happy to share this love that I have that comes from God with you. And so my shout out to God for what he's doing in my life right now in this episode is being able to share a little bit of my testimony with you all. This is just a small little bit (laughs) because scripture says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. If you did enjoy me sharing this and let me know and I'll do it again with some other small piece of my testimony. Follow on the socials, talk to me. I'm so grateful to be here. So grateful you're listening, and I pray that by hearing you got to know God more, that it he makes himself more real to you. And as I pray for you, I hope you pray for me. I'll see y'all next week. This episode was brought to you by Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. The theme music is titled Follow Louie, created by the music stylings of Megan Blackwell. If you would like to purchase the song or have any other inquiries for her music, use the information linked in the description of this episode.